Welcome to the Center for Spiritual Living Santa Rosa, a spiritual community that promotes global transformation through personal transformation. At the Center, we are motivated by a compelling vision of a healthy, loving world, which we call the Global Heart Vision. This vision inspires us to bring the gifts of compassion and loving-kindness to the world through our ministries and teaching. What you are about to hear is a recording of a message delivered at the Center for Spiritual Living Santa Rosa. Feel welcomed. Feel at home. The topic today is loving this body, the one that is constantly changing. Scientists now estimate that we have 30 trillion cells in our body. That's a three with 13 zeros after it. Most cells in our body renew themselves on a cycle or a given interval from a few days to several years. Muscles are among those longer-lasting cells. Some part, some 330 billion B cells change every single day. So when we think of this body as something that's constantly changing, there's some physiological truth in that. Even though there are elements of our body, like our eye cells and our heart cells, that last a lifetime. So what does also change is not just our physical form, but our relationship with our body. So here's your first question if you're following along with your journal. How has your relationship to your body changed over time? How has your relationship to or with your body changed over time? As I reflected on my own relationship with this body, it's gone through a lot of phases. I have had the privilege of watching my grandchildren begin their journeys, and I suspect that their infant experience of body was very similar to mine, though I have no recollection at all. Watching them, there's absolutely this sense of, oh my gosh, what did I just land in? What is this thing? as they try and orient themselves to an absolutely new experience from, from floating within their mother's womb. And in our tradition, from being in that formless, nameless something before taking form. Eventually, they start to discover hands and feet and perhaps put a thumb in their mouth or reach out with a giggle to find some part of their body. Then they can turn over and lift their head and even with a bit of a blur initially, notice the world around them. It was fascinating to me to recognize that they were discovering and exploring not as something in a body, but as this entire being named in the experience of my grandchildren, Taylor and Dylan. When I got to be five or six, I had a very different relationship with my body. It was something that I thought of myself as kind of stuck in. 
It wouldn't always do what I wanted. It was subject to ridiculous numbers of colds and sore throats. And whenever I tried to do ballet, it was just like, why can't my body look like those ballerinas out there? What's wrong with this body? What happened as a result of that discontent with my body was I retreated into my mind. I loved to read, read dozens of books. I also have this charming picture of myself sprawled probably as a, I don't know, nine or ten-year-old in a cozy chair with a crossword puzzle across my lap, working on a crossword. That place, in a sense outside of my body, was where I inhabited much of my childhood. I suspect a lot of you remember your teenage years, perhaps now with some humor and ability to kind of chuckle at what they were like. Generally, we landed in one of two containers. We were part of the in-crowd, or we were part of that group that looked up to those people that were better than us, prettier, smarter, more social, more popular, as we were judging ourselves, and especially our bodies, very harshly. I found that my homegrown haircuts that my mom regularly did didn't help my impression of how I fit in with people at all. Somehow, my body and I survived my adolescence and moved into my adult years. That meant that I was now in a career, I was in a marriage, and my body became my faithful servant. It was amazing how it put up without complaint to my workaholic life, 60 or 70 hours a week, to my frequent skipping of breakfast or grabbing a donut and coffee, and it never complained. It simply did what it was supposed to do because it was my servant. That began to change when... About 10 or 15 years ago, I started to recognize a heart song within me. I wanted to do a long backpacking trip in the high Sierras. That meant that my faithful servant needed to buff up a bit. It was no longer good enough the way it was, and so there were all kinds of squats and runs and backpacks and hikes and heavier packs and more and more to assure that my faithful servant would meet my needs in hiking that 160 or so miles from Yosemite south to Mount Whitney. That experience, though it had a rather unexpected ending, remains one of the highlights of my life. So I'm going to now step in a slightly different direction after reminding you that the way that my JMT experience ended was I was airlifted out after experiencing a stroke six days into my hike. And yet, here I am, standing and talking and thinking and being pretty appreciative that my body, my body got through that, even though there's a part of me that's sad that I probably won't ever do a 160-mile hike. When I came to the science of mind, 
One of the phrases I heard routinely, and you even heard a version of it this morning from Dr. Edward, was change your thinking, change your life. Yeah, I heard some of you kind of following along with me. The concept is that our thoughts, our belief system, create reality, or at least our experience of reality. We generally think of that phrase in a positive, empowering way. As my thinking changes, my life changes for the better. And that can be so. But spirit doesn't have any preferences. It takes your thoughts and beliefs, whatever they are, and that's the filter through which you experience life. If they're beneficial beliefs, it's a good filter. If they're judgmental, limiting beliefs, they're not so great. I've just about finished a 10-week book study in a lovely circle on the book by Mary O'Malley, What's in the Way is the Way. She asserts that we don't need to fix or change ourselves at all. We are already okay living in what she describes as the meadow. So here's the second question for you to reflect on this week. Can you accept that you are okay just the way you are? Can you accept that you are okay just the way you are? The reason we're not aware of the meadow in Mary O'Malley's life, view, the okayness of life, is the clouds of story that our storyteller creates. That part of our thinking mind that wants to explain everything, judge everything, tell us what's great about us, what's not great about us, how we're better or worse than anybody else in the world. The intention is to keep us safe, to protect us, to make sure that we are in control of our life. Sadly, what often happens is rather than being in that sense that we are okay, that life can be challenging and difficult and wondrous and beautiful, and it is what it is, instead we go chasing off into the weeds of our stories rather than being in the experience of life. I want to go back to my John Muir Trail hike as an example of how that works. Six days into my hike, as I mentioned, I had a midbrain stroke caused by a small clot in the circulation of my brain. That was what happened. I had a choice as to what I thought about that, the story I told myself. Given my experience and the awe and wonder and the beauty of being on my own in the Sierras, I did not freak out. I was not afraid. I did let spirit know in a somewhat cranky voice, I don't know what the heck you are doing, but I trust you've got this. I started thinking about what I might need to do to be safe overnight, 
I even be, before I even began implementing those plans, some other hikers stopped and stayed with me until search and rescue flew me out to the local trauma hospital. There was no fear in any of that time. My story was that spirit's got this. I'm just going to be present. I can easily imagine a different story. Something that goes along these lines. Oh my God, I'm having a stroke out in the middle of nowhere. Oh my God, what if I don't know where I am? What if I can't talk? What if nobody ever shows up? What am I going to do? What if there is a bear that comes and eats all my food and it's not safe, it's out on the trail? (laughs) My heart starts speeding up. Just imagining that story, that interpretation of the same experience I had on the John Muir Trail. It's a beautiful example of how what we think about something affects how we experience what's going on. I began this talk by reviewing some of the ways I've related to my body over the years. Then we shifted to looking at change your thinking, change your life. Our stories about our lives do impact our experience of life. Now I want to return to considering the body and how I have come to love it. In my reflections this morning, I am taking a somewhat different perspective on the body than what is usually found in Ernest Holmes' textbook, The Science of Mind. In the textbook, the body is described as an effect, never a cause, never something that is active itself. It is a vehicle for spirit to take form. In my journey with my body, I've discovered that that is not the only way I have related to this remarkable accumulation of 30 trillion cells. I'd like to read a couple of sections from chapter 5 of The Science of Mind, the chapter on the body. The universe has been called the great trinity or triune unity of spirit, soul, and body. The body being the result, the effect, the objectification of spirit. Soul is the immaterial, plastic, and receptive medium. It is primordial or cosmic stuff on manifest form. Body is the result of spirit working through soul or law. To interpret that just a little bit to anyone who might be unfamiliar with all of our jargon, we believe that there is a universal spirit, life, mind, awareness that we often call the thing itself, universal mind, and that creativity imparts impressions, ideas, thoughts into the soul, into what we also call the law, which then mechanically, without judging the good or the bad of the thought or the desire, manifest that into form. And in this teaching, the body is one of those manifestations into form 
based upon the creative thoughts of universal mind. There's way more to that, but I have more to tell you about, and I don't have time, though we will be exploring um, treatment in classes and other things. So, that's how he begins his concept of the body, that it is an effect, an object, not something alive and creative. However, as he continues on the next page, I noticed something I had never noticed before, which is one of the gifts of preparing for a Sunday talk. He begins with a reiteration of the body as effect. Then he talks about the body and intelligence. Here's that portion. Body is always an effect, never a cause. Body expresses intelligence, the apparent intelligence being lent by the consciousness that permeates it. We would not say that consciousness is in the body, but rather that body is in consciousness. Body is in consciousness. I invite you to make that your third question. How do you experience the statement, body is in consciousness? Just not in this moment, but later on this week. Look at, feel into that phrase. Don't think about it. Feel into it. Body is in consciousness. In that phrase, I recognized the possibility that the body is not just a container that life, spirit, inhabits for a time to experience this physical realm, but it is, in fact, more than that. It is itself within that all in all, the universal, that power of love. It's not just a container for it. It is an element of it. And I realized that that was why I now find myself in a much sweeter place with this body. As I will describe, it has gifts to offer, including an all-important access to direct experience of life, not what we think about life or what we interpret life to be. Consider that there is more to experience of life than the words and the labels and the stories we come up with. And that the body is a doorway into that direct and present experience. Mary O'Malley's work, some meditation practices, and recently rereading Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth all pointed me in this direction. There is an awareness, a something, not describable in words because it precedes the words and is more directly felt into and experienced. 
This awareness does not describe or interpret. Here's how Eckhart Tolle describes it. Underneath the surface appearance, everything is not only connected with everything else, but also with the source of all life out of which it came. Even a stone and more easily a flower or a bird could show you the way back to God, to the source, to yourself. When you look at it or hold it and let it be without imposing a word or mental label on it, a sense of awe, of wonder arises in you. Its essence silently communicates itself to you and reflects your own essence back to you. What attends to the flower notices the bird is your body awareness. It senses and it's open, curious attention to what is. Some months ago I was working with a congregant. She found herself completely caught up in studying the teachings of the science of mind. She said she was able to talk about our principles, what we believe, how it works. Yet it felt like it was all in her head. It had nothing to do with who she was or her experience of life. She felt separated from her body, trapped in her mind. I gave her a challenge. It was six days before the end of the month. I invited her to listen to her body's wisdom and what it knows heart, belly, some other part of her body, and not try to figure out things in her head. I know for myself the habit of figuring things out is a pretty strong one and hard to escape many times. I am learning to settle into my body, for me it's in my heart, and pay attention to what arises there before I try and figure anything out. And as I am often finding, I'm way ahead of myself in time and not in text. So I think I'm going to dive into Tolle and then skip some rambling anecdotes. So Tolle invites us to get to know our inner body, a way of moving from being aware of the external visible body and the thoughts and judgments that accompany it. So I invite you to just for a moment close your eyes. This is a short dip into this experience. Close your eyes and find out if there is life inside your hands. Don't ask your mind. It will say, I can't feel anything. Probably it will also say, give me something more interesting to think about. So instead of asking your mind, go to the hands directly. By this I mean become aware of the subtle feeling of aliveness inside them. It is there. You just have to go there with your attention to notice it. You may get a slight tingling sensation at first. 
than a feeling of energy or aliveness. If you hold your attention in your hands for a while, the sense of aliveness will intensify. Eckhart Tolle continues, when I call, what I call the inner body isn't really the body anymore, but life energy, the bridge between form and formless. Make it a habit to feel the inner body as often as you can. After a while, you won't need to close your eyes anymore to feel it. When you are in touch with the inner body, you are not identified with your body anymore, nor are you identified with your mind. This is to say you are no longer identified with form, but moving away from form identification toward formlessness, which we may also call being. It is your essence identity. Body awareness not only anchors you in the present moment, it is the doorway out of the prison that is ego. There's much more I could talk about, and please feel free to come up to me after this service if you have questions or comments. I want to end with a selection from The Voice Celestial. I don't know that many of you know about it. It's a poem written by Ernest Holmes and his brother Fenwick. It's patterned on the Bhagavad Gita with a conversation between a spiritual seeker, the fairer, and the presence. I read it because it is this amazing description, experience of what Holmes means when he says oneness is the essence. We're not spirit, soul, body. We are one with all of that. We are not separate human beings isolated from each other. We are unique and diverse but we are all in that human oneness and family. So again, if you are comfortable, I invite you to close your eyes as I read this stanza. And it is the presence speaking to the fairer, the spiritual seeker, at the very end of the book. I chide thee, O my double, for this word. Fear not for anything on earth, nor in the universe. Unlike the prison door, the mind is unbarred, is forever free, forever, is free forevermore from superstition and belief in two, and brings the long-sought goal to view. Thyself, Thy senses and thy heart today have found their unity. I need not stay. Should I remain, you would be divided and think that you and I and God are three. The time has come to merge them into the me. Retain thy faith in thy true self alone. In thee is Father, Mother, and the Son. In thee, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. For this I came, 
For this I go away, that you be born again. This is the day that your divided selves find unity, embraced within the allness of the me. Please join me in prayer. Embraced in the allness of me, the place of love, the being, the presence of wisdom of all life, all creation beyond limits, beyond names, beyond time, beyond form, with creativity to be present throughout life, within, without, around, and as life, in each and every moment. No separation, no other, all good, present, okay. As I experience that one, I know it is expressing in through as and around me in every moment. As that is so for me, it is also true for everyone hearing this word. There is no separation. There is no part that is unwelcome. There is nothing to fix, only truth to be revealed. Only truth to be revealed. I celebrate this awareness. I am grateful for the reminder. I release this word into law, into love, and know it so. And together we say, and so it is.